Hello, and welcome to the Keepers of the Flame podcast. This is a show to shine a light into the darkness, to empower women, their support networks, and our communities to weather breast cancer, because together we weather the storm. But on this ocean, every wave brings you closer to home. Hello and welcome back to Keepers of the Flame podcast. I'm Joyce Williams, your host, and this is episode number 46, Survivor Series. This is number five of our Survivor Series with Elaine Spencer. Y'all, when I was diagnosed with cancer and I spoke with other women who had been there and who had done that and who had walked this walk, it inspired me seeing that they had weathered their own storms and that they had made it through to the other side. It kindled this hope within me that I too could make it through my own scary path in whatever form that looked like for my story. Just the collection of hearing from other women who truly understood what I was going through and who had risen up strong on the other side of whatever adversity had hit them, it motivated me. I too could do it. I can make it. And for those of you that might not have people that are able to talk to you who have walked a similar route, that is the entire point of the Survivor Series is to bring these conversations and these stories and to let these women's voices be heard so that you are that much more empowered. Together, we will help you find your feet beneath you once more. Together, we will help pull you back up onto that life raft that you feel maybe you have slid right off of. You don't have to do it alone. We are there beside you, and together, we're going to educate, we're going to promote awareness, we're going to inspire, and we are going to help you kindle that own hope within you. And today, I'm super excited to have with us an incredibly special guest, Elaine Spencer. She is the director of Effingham Family Connection here in Effingham County, Georgia. She is, y'all, my hero. She is a 30-year survivor, a huge inspiration, and she's my role model. We are just incredibly blessed to have her with us today to share a little bit about her own journey so that you too can feel like you have the strength inside of you to make it as well. Elaine, welcome. We're so happy to have you with us today. Oh, Joyce, thank you for having me. I'm just honored. You are definitely an inspiration and I'm excited for other women to be able to hear from you because I know I was blessed enough to be able to hear from you and I think I think that's going to really help a lot of women. Well, I hope so. Tell us a little bit about you and your experience through cancer. How old were you at diagnosis? I was diagnosed at 39. I found the lump. I found a lump and it stayed there for a month or so. I finally went to the doctor and I told him, I said, I, we need to check this lump. He told me that the lump that I found was not in a the normal place. It was between my breast and my armpit. He said, that's not normal where we find breast cancer. He says, but we'll check it. They did the test, and it came back. It was cancer, and I guess the worst words a woman can ever hear is cancer, and it's malignant, and your your life just comes to a halt. But the thing is, when they did the test and they found the cancer, the lump I found was not my cancer. My cancer was camouflaged behind that lump, had they not biopsied that lump, 
that I not found the cancer behind that lump. And he said my cancer was so aggressive. He said if it had not been found, I'd have probably been dead in three months. Oh, my was, goodness. That, was that, that rapid. Right. So so it's a good thing that you chose to go in and say, hey, check this out. Absolutely. And it goes to show you a woman or man, you know your body better than anybody yes, else. Yes, absolutely. I love so. what uh, another survivor said once, and I say it all the time because it's, it's spot on. She says, know your own geography. Know what is normal for you. And if something is not normal then you be your number one advocate. You speak up, you go, and you ask, hey, what's going on with this? Right. And the doctor told me, he says, well, let's just check it for a little while. I said, we can check it for a little while, but in a week or two, when I come back, if it's still there, I want it out, whatever it is. Right. So when I went back, I think I had picked at it or or rubbed it for so much just trying to check it that I had irritated it. So he went ahead and, and did the biopsy, and that's when they found out it was it was cancer. So did, did you ever have to have a mammogram done, or you just you just found it by touch, and they biopsied from there? It did not show up in my mammogram. I had them and continue to have mammograms every year. And actually, after the cancer, I think you have one like every six months or something like that. Yeah. Have they told you whether or not you have dense breasts? Is that you know I've why? never asked because back then the, I don't do think it. they didn't do the, yeah. the dense breast. Yeah, they, or whatever. Yeah. right. Well, now that Margie's Law has passed, next time you go in, they'll put it on that mammogram report. Check it out and see what they say. I will. Because... I'm, I'm going to ask them the next time. Because last time I went, I just didn't even think about it. But this time, right. yeah, I will. I'll yeah. definitely ask. Because that can happen, <clears throat> too, is sometimes that's why it doesn't show up is because it's camouflaged in right. there. Yeah. And another thing is that women in their 30s, they're thinking, well, it's not breast cancer. I'm too young for breast cancer. Right. Well, you're not too young for breast cancer. Breast cancer or any kind of cancer doesn't discriminate. Exactly. It, you can be any age. At 39, I was diagnosed, and they say life begins at 40. Mine did. Because mm-hmm. I was diagnosed at 39, and at 40, my life started over again. It so, changes. It, yes, it, it definitely changes. person that we are prior to cancer is definitely different than the person afterwards. Absolutely. And there's a sense of mourning, I think, that accompanies that too. Like you have to learn to accept that new normal, which can be hard. <laughs> I know that I've had my moments with that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> absolutely. I don't think anything truly prepares us when somebody sits across the table from you and says, you have cancer. Like there's no pretty way to deliver those words. Absolutely none. What were the first thoughts that you had when they were said to you? Actually, I was coming, I was in recovery when they did the biopsy because they, you know, put you to sleep and then they do the biopsy and all that stuff. And I remember laying on the, the table in recovery and the doctor comes in and it's like I said earlier, they didn't really sugarcoat it. Mm-hmm. He just said, Elaine, it is cancer and it's malignant. I didn't have a feeling of doom. Mm-hmm. I had a feeling of, nah, yeah, not me. Denial. Yeah, I yeah. was definitely, I was in denial. Right. Nobody in my family has ever had breast cancer. That's what I hear a lot of people say. I was the first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's one out of eight women, you know, regardless of whether or not you have family history or a genetic mutation, it's one out of eight women. Well, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, those are the statistics, one out wow. of eight, yeah. which is entirely too high. Absolutely. And, you know, people say, well, it's what you eat, it's what you've done in life that can cause all this. Well, I don't no, believe it that. It is not your you know, fault. Yeah. It's yeah, not your absolutely. fault. It's not your fault. So don't, it, don't blame yourself. That's right. And we have to really <clears throat> learn to focus our control in productive ways, right? We can't beat ourselves up for trying to control all the things in our life that we don't have control over. 
Absolutely. This has been a huge lesson of my own, <laughs> but learning to focus on the things that we can. Okay. So they tell you, you have cancer. Well, what can you do from there? You can choose what are to my be... next steps. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So what were your next steps? After I got out of recovery and I went home and discussed it with family, went to the, the doctor was telling me to, he said, these are your options. You know, you can have a lumpectomy, you can have radiation, or you can have chemo. Well, and they don't do this anymore, I don't think, but they took out all my lymph nodes under my right arm where my mm-hmm. cancer was. The cancer, I was blessed, had not spread to any of my lymph nodes. So I chose to go with the radiation and the lumpectomy. And even a lumpectomy is difficult for a woman because it's going to change yeah. the size of your breast, and that's something hard to get used to. Right. It's different. So, it's changed. Yes. You're changed. You're, you're changed, yes. Yeah. yeah. I've heard that. I want to talk briefly. You had said that they had removed all of your lymph nodes. Now they can do something called a sentinel node biopsy where they inject some radioactive dye that will go and show. It's kind of like light brights. It'll it'll light up which lymph nodes are in jeopardy. And when they go in there to surgery, they'll try to remove as few as possible. So that's what they did for me. And I only had three lymph nodes that were removed. But she also told me that if she gets in there and things don't look great, then she would take them all. And some women still have to have, I forget what it's called. I think it's called an axillary node dissection, which is when they take them all and they biopsy them all, Uh which of course, the more lymph nodes that you have removed, the more at risk you are for lymphedema. Have you had any worries or concerns or experiences with lymphedema at all? Educate me. That's when you swell, the swelling and okay. Yeah. So your lymphatic system is what's basically responsible. Like if you get a cut, your lymphatic system goes in and is cleaning it all up. Well, if you've had the lymph nodes removed, it's not able to do its job quite as well. And what happens is there's swelling that can happen. And that's exactly why when I have my blood checked, they can't do it on the arm where they've taken out the lymph nodes. So any blood work, anything that has to do with my arms, I cannot let them do anything out of my right arm. That's important for women to know. If you've had one lymph node, two lymph nodes, three, or all, it doesn't matter. You hide that arm. Right. You you sit on it. No, you may not take blood. Yeah, not (laughs) this one. This is the other arm you can use, and it's for that reason. But I've never had swelling, and Mm -hmm. even my doctor told me, he said, Elaine, not having any of your lymph nodes, he said, it's amazing that you've had no swelling at all, and I have not had a drop now. Under my arm, in my armpit, even like today, I can feel a little bit of discomfort. Yeah, yeah. You know, but, and I don't know what causes that, but then it goes away. Right. So, but it's never gone down my arm. That's good. Yeah. That's good. So, I've been very fortunate, very blessed. So, making sure that people listening know that you were, you said you were 39 when you were diagnosed. How long have you been no evidence of disease? 30 years? 30 years. When you were diagnosed, the experience that you had and the treatments that you went through, it was from a while ago. What we do now is a little bit different. Treatments are always changing and improving based off of how science is improving. Yes. I had the best doctors. I had the greatest oncologist. I was very, very lucky. You said that you elected to have a lumpectomy and radiation. Right. Tell us about radiation. How did your body respond to that? I went through eight weeks of radiation every day except for the weekends. Back then, and I don't know how they do it now, but they had to put you in a mold and make a cast 
for you to, to lay in for I the radiation. Blocked a lot of this from my memory. I remember like some kind of bean bag thing that they would that they. Well, this was like a cast. I mean, oh. I, I mean, it's not. It did not fit around you, but you had to lay in it every time you had your radiation treatments yeah. because people say, "Do you have any tattoos?" I said, "I have four. Oh, did they tattoo you? Yeah, I have. Where they shot the radiation? Yes. And they're they're like little pinheads. You really can't hardly see yeah. them, but. We did an episode earlier with Dr. Hassel where he talks about um, radiation and what to expect and that kind of stuff. And I think, and and I'm a member of some online support groups as well, and I think that what they do to mark you up depends on where you are, where you receive treatment. I have heard of some women who do get tattoos, and the whole point of that is so that when they lay you, put you in that mold, I think I had a, a beanbag thing, you had a cast, for me, they didn't do tattoos, but they used this special marker and put tape on it, and I had to keep that on there the entire duration of radiation. It couldn't come it couldn't come off at all. But the whole point of the tattoo, the whole point of those special markings and stuff is so that they can get you in that exact location right. each and every time. Right. So that each and every time they're radiating the exact same spot. And now that you say that, I remember too, they did mark me with like magic markers, mm-hmm. black ones. And they had the markers coming up my neck and call it vanity. I don't know what you want to call it, but I said, no, 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 that's not going to work. Right. We need to get rid of the markers up around my throat. I draw the line. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You can mark me anywhere else, but they got to come down. So yes. I don't want it up my neck. So yeah. but, And they did, and it was fine. Yeah. Do you remember any side effects from treatment? The main side effect that I remember is the burning sensation. And it burns from the inside out. My right breast, where I had the cancer removed, it was a perfect square. And just that one breast, mm-hmm. I had the most gorgeous suntan you <laughs> ever want to see in your life. But it burns and it hurts and you don't want clothes to touch it. No, you don't. You don't want anything. To, I mean, you, you walk around trying desperately not for anything to rub up against you or touch you. Or to move in a particular way, too. Absolutely, yeah. I didn't realize this, but like when I was sleeping and I would roll over in the middle of the night, that pulling of rolling would Mm -hmm. would pull on that burnt Mm -hmm. skin, and it hurt. Mm -hmm. That was, I think, my biggest thing, too. I've heard some people say that they get really tired or nauseated. I didn't really have that. You know, I didn't get really tired. I didn't think I did until Mm -hmm. after my treatments were over, and I realized as my energy level was getting back to where to what I call a norm. Right. I didn't realize how exhausted I was and the energy that it took away from you. Yeah. But I worked every day. I'd go to my treatments every morning. I was the first one there, and I was at work by 9 o'clock. I never missed a day at work during my treatments. That's great that you're able to keep doing that. Yeah. I would come home and I'd go running. <laughs> well, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Until, until it got to the point, like, towards the end. Because for a while, like, in the beginning, those first few treatments, you don't really notice anything. It's mm-hmm. not until later on that you start to see those skin changes. So for me, the skin changes happened towards the very end of my treatment. And you have to remember, too, that when you come home from breast cancer, you're going to come home with a drain tube. I wasn't prepared for that. I wasn't prepared to clean it and change it and empty it. And I certainly wasn't prepared when they removed it. That was painful. (laughs) I said, I made up words when that (laughs) thing was coming out. (laughs) Yes. It was terrible. They told me I was going to have drains. 
I had four because I had a, a bilateral mastectomy. I had two on each side. And I knew that they were going to have to, they're monitoring the amount of stuff. You don't want fluid to build up in there. That's right. the whole reason why they give them to you. So we want them because we don't want bad things to happen inside. But we really don't want them because they're not pleasant at all. And they're held together by like a single stitch. Right. And then when you go to have them removed, my nurse, she like snipped the little s- stitch. And then she tells me, she goes, okay, take a deep breath. I took a deep breath, and like you said, words came out that I was not familiar with what they were, and I cried and cried and cried, and then she goes over to the other side and says, breathe. Nope. I am a quick learner. Last time you told me to breathe, that happened. You hurt me. I'm not doing that now. And I think, literally, the skin grows back around that tube. Yes, I think so, too. And they're pulling that skin. Yeah, I think so, too, because I remember when they pulled that out, it felt like my insights were getting yanked out right through that tiny hole. It's about the diameter of a straw. Right, yes. But I was thinking, too, how much of that tube was inside of me? Because it just kept coming out. It did. It felt like it kept coming out. Right, yeah. Yeah. And that's not to scare anyone, but that's just what you not expecting. Yeah, but I will say along the drain lines, once they were out, I felt incredible relief. I felt like I could take deeper breaths. I was more mobile. I felt like my body started to belong to me that much more. Right, absolutely. I agree. And one thing that I told a friend of mine was, you know, every step along the way, you're getting that much closer to having it in the rear view mirror. And so she told me that, because I had told her that at the very beginning, right before she was going into surgery, and she told me that she used that same thought when she was having the drains removed. Her husband said, hey, one step closer. All you got to do is have this out. You're one step closer to having it done. Yeah. And I guess because I'm maybe a little on the bullheaded side, but they had my arm strapped down. Oh. uh, So I couldn't move it. Well, at the time I had a five speed. I had a little Mazda RX-7, five-speed. Oh. And I thought, you know, I'm home by myself during the daytime. If I need to go somewhere, I need to be able to drive that five-speed. So what did I do? I get in the car, and not even supposed to be out of bed, hardly, you know. But like you yeah. said, you went jogging. So, wow. you know, I'm driving a five-speed wow. down Tybee Island. You know? <laughs> so, just to say, I can do it. Right. Or, I did it. I want my life. I yeah. want to have yeah. control over my You're not mind. taking this away from me. Yes, exactly. Because yeah. so we feel like there's so much that's getting taken away, right? We, mm-hmm. Our health is getting taken away. Part or all or whatever of our breasts are just getting taken away. Our sense of safety. We got to draw the line somewhere, right? Like if this is what I need to feel like I own bits of who I am, then darn it, I'm going to do it. Absolutely. Yep. So what emotions did you have when you were first diagnosed and how did they change throughout the process? I think going to work every day helped me a lot. I didn't have time to sit at home and feel sorry for myself, Mm -hmm. which you really have a tendency to do because you kind of feel like you're in this by yourself. And like you and I had discussed earlier, when I went through breast cancer surgery, people didn't talk about breast cancer. Yeah. It It was taboo. It was a secret. Nobody wanted to talk about, especially women, their breasts, right. much less breast cancer. Right. So you feel like you're kind of by yourself. We've come a long way We've come in 30 long, years. We sure and, have. And I know that I had told you this before too, but when I speak to women such as yourself who have are 30 years out and who went through this in a, in a different day and age than what I went through, 
I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank oh. you for being such an amazing trailblazer because because you guys paved the way. And, and, and we were talking before, you said, well, the heck with this. I'm not going to be quiet. For women like you that did that and spoke up at a time when people weren't doing that, that made it so that when my time came, I could say, I have breast cancer. I have to have surgery. I'm scared. And I got support because of that. Admit your fear. Yes. Because you're going to have it. Yes. It's going to be there. And nothing is wrong with you. You're human. The fear wasn't for me and my life as to the people I would leave behind if something happened to me. Mm -hmm. And what you don't understand is the effect it has on your family. Mm -hmm. It isn't just you going through this. Yes. My mom and dad both, to this day, I believe, were in denial. My daddy wouldn't even talk about it. And my mother kept saying, but it's just a little bit of cancer. Just a little bit. But 30 years ago, you really didn't know that much about it. Right. My husband and I, we processed information differently. I mean, I was able to speak up and say, you know, because of, like I said, people that came before me that made it possible. And when I spoke up and said that this is happening to me and I got all of this amazing support, I don't have to do this alone. I might have to be the one that walks this walk, but I'm not by myself in it. It was amazing. But even so, as you mentioned, Our families have to process through it, and it's happening to them as well. And that didn't hit me in the beginning because I was so, like, drowning in my own storm that it was Mm -hmm. hard to see that at that point in time. But my husband and I processed information differently. So where I am, like, collecting data and talking to doctors and listening to my gut, that's how I make decisions He makes decisions differently. He wants to gather data on the computer and put it into a spreadsheet. And and it was hard for him because it wasn't his decision. He was having to support me on my decision, which was hard because he didn't want any of this to be happening. He had no control. Yes, control. Exactly. It's not only a loss of control for us, but for our loved ones as well. Absolutely. And I found this amazing. When I was going through my cancer and my cancer treatments, people didn't even want to use the word death. In a yeah. sentence, not not about me, but somebody would say, "Oh, when I heard that, I could have died." And then you could see the look in their face, like, "Oh my gosh, uh, yeah." I just said, "I just said the D word," yeah, you know. And I had to tell them, "Look, that doesn't bother me, right?" First of all, I'm not gonna die. That's right, ninety five. Yes, I am gonna fight this all the way, and I need your support. I don't need you to cover anything up. Right. If you've got questions, ask me. That's right. We'll talk about it. I'll tell you what I'm going through. That's right. An open book. Absolutely. And and don't feel like you have to censor yourself around me. I I have heard from women nowadays that are going through it, talking about people trying to censor what to say. The friends and family maybe don't always know what to say, so then they don't say anything and they disappear, and then that person is left there without any support. So true, yeah. And they, and they feel lost and they don't know how to handle it. So for any uh, loved ones, family, and friends that are listening, it's not a set you have to do X, Y, or Z. It's just do something. Be there. Listen. Don't disappear. Don't disappear because that's when you need your friends and your family the most. Yes. So be there. And if you don't know what to say. ask questions. Yes. If you don't know what to say, it's okay <clears throat> to say that. Gosh, I don't, I, I am so sorry. I, I can only imagine what you're going through. Tell me, tell me how you're feeling. Tell me what I can do to help. Have that conversation. Right. And there's yes. nothing wrong with that. That is actually very helpful to know. Like somebody's not going to sit there and pretend that they have the answers because we know you don't have the answers. Nobody does. 
But to say, I'm so sorry you're having to go through this. I will sit with you through it. I had the greatest support system from my friends and my family. That helped me get through it a lot. And even my coworkers. What would you say was the best kind of support that you were given? I think the best support I received was the upbeat attitude from my friends and my family. They didn't feel sorry for me, but they wanted to be there for me to help me and talk to me and get me through this. They let you live. Like life continued around life continued on around this big boulder that you were having to they deal with. They did not focus on my life not being the way it was before. They right. focused on Elaine being the Elaine she was before this happened right. and this is the way Elaine's gonna be for the rest of her life. I think that is that is huge. And I think this is important not only for our support systems out there to recognize, but but for women who are actually going through this to recognize mm-hmm. as well. Like this is this is the question here. And uh, self-reflection going on right here with me as well <laughs> in the moment. But the question being, we talked before, okay, who we were prior to cancer, we're never gonna be that person again. But who we are on the other side, it doesn't have to be all I'm a breast cancer survivor, I'm a breast cancer survivor, I'm a breast cancer survivor. It's who are you outside of breast cancer now? The one thing I noticed, and you always have heard all your life, stop and smell the roses. After my breast cancer, I did look at things differently. I looked at things a little more more compassion, more understanding, more positive. Probably pre-breast cancer, I was a little more Mm self-centered. It was about Elaine. After breast cancer, it was like, it's not all about Elaine. And having, having as you said just a moment ago, having that compassion and, and understanding and empathy for whatever they may be going through. Maybe it's not breast cancer, but I mean, life is life and we've got hardships no matter what our story is. And being able to recognize and tap into that discomfort that somebody else might be feeling is a little bit more accessible when we've been through something so trying ourselves. Well, you can identify with what someone else is going through better and more compassionately than if you had not ever been through it yourself. Because you know what they're going through. You know their feelings. Right. Even though I like to think that Elaine as a person hasn't changed a lot since the breast cancer. I like to think that I've continued to enjoy my life just like I did before. But I think I've taken enjoying my life to a different level. Yeah. As being... A richer, more, a, yeah, a richer person for going through what I went through, right? That I can share with other people, and, and I think that makes you a, a more accessible person to to help somebody else, such as myself, that has been through something so hard. You get it, and it doesn't mean that you're defined by that moment or that you can go back and be who you were prior. You are the whole package deal. You've got it all. And I would like to say that there probably doesn't a day go by that I don't think about it. Like you said, it does not define me, Right. but it's been 30 years, but it's just something you don't forget. Yes. I think that's important too. Because Once I, you've had it, you always think there's that possibility it's going to come back, but that's just something you've got to accept just like anything else. You've never had breast cancer. You've never had any kind of cancer. Any day, anybody. Right. Right. This is two two words I learned just yesterday, and this is going to like stick them on a card and put them in my wallet. So acknowledge and then refocus. Acknowledge the fact that you've been through something hard or maybe you're having a memory of it or maybe you're having fear come up because you're getting ready to have another mammogram done or whatever. Acknowledge that. Give yourself permission to feel whatever that is. And then second word, refocus. And refocus on 
I am here and now, the whole grounding stuff that we talked about in previous episodes with, I went through something hard and I know that I'm afraid for what maybe could happen, but I'm not there. I am here at this moment. And kind of what you said a second ago too about stop and smell the roses. Where are you at this juncture in time? So acknowledge and then refocus. And I am definitely not an expert at that. (laughs) (laughs) If you see me yesterday, I was crying my eyes out. But I'm going to put those two words on a little note card and stick it in my wallet. That's my that's my outline. When I want to know what do I refocus? Yes. Yes. When I want to know like how do I handle these overwhelming emotions that are that are going to come up and 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 I have tried to beat them off with a stick and they just don't disappear. But you know what I have to say about that? Don't try to beat them off with a stick. Let them come out. Let them surface. That's very good advice. If you suppress those emotions, you're going to explode. Yep. Let them come out. Oh, been there, done that. I've tried all all these tactics, and it doesn't matter. (laughs) You know, it's like. When a woman goes through menopause, uh-huh. it's like you're having hot flashes. There's not a thing you can do about right. it. And that brings us to another subject. Once you've had breast cancer, I know my doctor would not give me any hormone therapy at all. Yeah. So, menopause so you is- had to go through menopause. By your, I said, mm-hmm. my grandmother did it. My mama did it. So if they can do it, by cracky, I can do it mm-hmm. too. Menopause is a big topic with breast cancer too. It's another it's another layer of that onion that people don't necessarily realize because depending on what kind of cancer you have and the treatments that give you, it can throw you into a medically induced menopause. And mm-hmm. like, I mean, I had to have a hysterectomy. So I went in at 36, I woke up from surgery and I was instantly going through all of that fun stuff really? that I did not feel like I was well versed on and yeah. people weren't talking about. So I didn't know what to expect or how to handle any of that. And that was like another layer of cancer that people aren't necessarily expecting. And like you said, it's going to happen, right? Yeah. Hot gonna, flashes, yeah. they're going to happen. And, and you can be giving a speech in front of a room full of people and sweat's going to come pouring off your nose. There's nothing you can do to stop it. So go with your emotions. Just let yeah. them let them come out. That's right. That is very good advice. And I know I have been told that like, every time I go to therapy, but but it is good advice. And, and, and those are my two words to give me an outline. When I want to know when that's happening, how do I talk myself through it and, and know that, okay, this is part of me, but it's not going to be all of me. How do I make it through that big emotional wave that hits? Two words, acknowledge, refocus. Well, I think the way I would handle that is like, Oh, Lord, here it comes again. Oh. <laughs> just, and just go with it. That's right. Go with That's it. Right. You know it's going to pass. That's right. That right there, people listening, what she just said, it's going to pass. Mm-hmm. It's a wave. It's it a, is a wave. Yeah. yeah. It's like hot flashes. It's a wave. Right. It's going to pass. They call it a flash, it, right? It's a flash. It's a flash. It's a flash. It's called a flash for a reason. <laughs> What would you say is your was your biggest challenge with this journey and then maybe your biggest life lesson? Oh my goodness, my biggest challenge was knowing how close I could have been to death and that's scary. It is scary. Is knowing you're facing death is is very scary. That was a challenge. The next challenge was what are my options? What are my choices? Am I going to have chemo? Am I going to have radiation? Am I going to have a lumpectomy? What am I going to do? Has it spread? How far has it spread? Gather all of that data so that you can make your best decision for you at that juncture in time. And then key, whatever you decide, 
you don't beat yourself up for later because you made your decision based off of the information you had available. That's right. Yes. And the way it, the biggest life lesson was you have no control over what's going to happen to you in your life. It isn't what you do. It isn't what you eat. It isn't how much you exercise. I mean, I shouldn't say that. Exercise is very important. It's very important. But you see people that they're exercise fanatics that come down with cancer or strokes or whatever. Enjoy your life. Yes. Just get out there and enjoy it. Of course, eat healthy, exercise, do what you're supposed to do. But my biggest life lesson was don't dwell on things that you know you really have no control over at all. That comes from a higher source. Yeah. It's been another big life lesson of mine because I am a type A control freak. I want to have everything in order. And Mm -hmm. if it's not, it bugs me to bits. But that has been a big thing for me too, is learning to let go of what I can't control and then focus that attention on what I can. I found a quote in my dad's wallet when I was going through it after he passed away. And it said, uh, and I still have it, I have it on my refrigerator. It says, worries are like puddles of rain. Tomorrow they will have evaporated. I love that. Yeah, yeah. I think about that all the time. That is such a beautiful quote. That is so true. Mm -hmm. It'll evaporate. It'll go away. Right. And then what can you actually do? Let go of those things, those worries that are going to evaporate and disappear that you didn't have any control of in the first place. You can't control it. And then shift for what you can do. So like for me, I have the BRCA2 mutation, a hereditary mutation. And so it bugs me a lot that I don't have control over whether or not my girls inherited that. Mm -hmm. And it terrifies me at the thought that they may possibly have to go through exactly what I've gone through. And nobody, you want to protect your kids. Nobody wants that. So that, that frightens me. And I don't have control over that, so what can I do? Well, I can continue to try to push forward and help find a cure. I can advocate. I can teach them resiliency. Those are things I can actually latch into and do. Another thing, Joyce, is that your children may have this, but with the modern technology... Science is always improving. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they can find out if they have this, and Mm -hmm. and, then just from the get-go, they know what they can do and what their options may be. Because I found out that I had the mutation and because I went through what I went through, they are that much more informed and empowered with their own health mm-hmm. because they know to be watchful. They're allowed uh, screening starting 10 years prior to my diagnosis. So at the age of 26, they can start getting mammograms and MRIs to just watch stuff. Well, I know I started having mammograms at... I was young when I started having mammograms. And I know because when they started saying, well, you don't need to have a mammogram till you're 40 or yeah. something like that, or even later in life, I'm going like, no, no, no. I was diagnosed in my late 30s. Right. Yeah. Know your geography. Yeah, yes. Be your number one yeah. advocate. Now, I have a question to ask you. Sure. Are you the first in your family? Yes. To, okay. So I had, um, I found out by happy accident that I had the BRCA2 mutation. I have a strong family history for colon cancer and I'm a biology nerd. And so I had gone in to my regular OB appointment and they had a, a survey to fill out about hereditary cancers. Are you eligible for genetic testing? 
And knowing what I knew about genetics, I asked, hey, should I be concerned about this? There's a colon cancer mutation, which is on chromosome number five. BRCA2 is on, I think it's chromosome 17 or 13. BRCA1 is on one, BRCA2 is on the other. But I thought maybe I had that colon cancer mutation. So he's like, yeah, well, let's do genetic testing with all your colon cancer history in your family. You're, you're definitely a candidate. Well, they did the Calaris test for Myriad, which surveyed, I think, like 28 different genetic mutations. I was negative for that one, and I was positive for BRCA2. And there was absolutely no family history for breast or ovarian cancer in my family. But knowing what I know about genetics, that chromosome can be inherited from either your mother or your father. And it wasn't until after I was diagnosed with cancer when I shared this with family Then I found out that four generations back on the paternal side, so my father's father's mother had breast cancer. Now, did she have the mutation? We don't know. I can't even tell you her name unless I go and look it up. But it's plausible that it got passed down that paternal line and had gone undetected for generations. Wow, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. And then only Mm. after I found out that I had the mutation at the age of 35, I had my first mammogram. It missed it because I had dense breasts. Lots of lots of times young women have dense breasts anyway. And so the mammogram missed it. Six months later, I had an MRI. The only reason I got an MRI was because I found out that I had the mutation. And the MRI found that I had three masses. No. Mm-hmm. So talk oh, about gosh. blessed that mm-hmm. I found out when and how I did. My um, OB all the time, he says, you're like the poster child for genetic testing because had I not done genetic testing when I did and how I did, I never would have known. I'm not even 40 yet. I wouldn't have had a mammogram. Right. And the mammogram missed it. I had three masses and a micromet to the lymph nodes. So Mercy. yeah, I was very blessed. Now, did your insurance cover that? Great question. This is one of those gaps that I want people to understand and know about. A lot of insurances do not cover genetic testing. My test was through Myriad. They're like the gold star for genetic testing, right? It's through a blood draw that they do at the doctor's office. And when I had that done, they told me that my max out of pocket was going to be $375. And I said, okay, they're they're like, so no matter what, we're going to file with the insurance, but no matter what, that's what my max I would owe. And they said, yes. Well, then I got an explanation of benefits and it was for over $6,000 and none of it was going to get applied towards the deductible because it was genetic testing. And they didn't cover genetic testing. And I'm like thinking I'm going to end up in divorce court or like I'm going to die. Like my heart exploding over here. Like what? (laughs) Like I, because at this point I didn't even know I had cancer. I, I just, at this point, I didn't even know I had the mutation. I just thought I was a candidate to do it because of this family history. And so I went ahead and did it. And now I'm like, why did I do that? Why did I do that? That's six grand. Like, and I'm freaking out. But Thankfully, I called the company and they had a voice message that says, if you received an explanation of benefits that's higher than your negotiated amount, please know that you are only responsible for the initial negotiated amount. I was like, oh, thank God. That was the best $375 (laughs) I have ever spent in my entire life because it basically saved my life. Oh, wow. Yeah. I know mine mine cost me... My surgery was like fifteen hundred dollars. I had great insurance at the time, so yeah, it was. Um, it is. It is pricey. Now, another thing that we might want to add to this: when after my lumpectomy, this was like several years down the road, 
I was very fortunate because my surgeon took my own tissue and reshaped my right breast. So it's all my tissue. Right. Now, before my breast cancer, I was like a double D. So after the breast cancer, at my right breast, I was down to like a C. My left breast was still at a double D. I tried the prosthetic. The external prosthesis? Yes, the external. It was horrible. It was heavy. It was hot in the Mm -hmm. summertime. I said, no, this is not going to cut it. But you had to do something because your clothes didn't fit. Right. And it it looked not just awkward, but you were very self-conscious of it. Yes, I've heard that a lot of women have told me that. Yeah. Well, I went in and I told my doctor, I said, I want to have a breast reduction in my left breast. Mm -hmm. And he said, okay. Yeah. So. He was able to make you match. He, well, as close enough. Right. Yes, close enough. But he said, we can do the cosmetic surgery. And I asked him, I said, is my insurance going to pay for this? That was my first question. He said, yes. He said, your insurance will pay for this because of your breast cancer. Yeah. And this is a basically a necessary surgery. Yes. He said, now, if you had not been a breast cancer survivor, your insurance probably would not have covered this for cosmetic surgery. Right. That's a good that's a good point to make here that women know that insurances will cover that reconstruction, however that might look, to help get you past cancer, getting your body as close to resembling you as you were before. Absolutely. So when a woman or man is diagnosed with breast cancer, you don't just deal with how you felt before, how you feel after, how your family reacts to it. There's so many things that you're looking at, but you never stop and think about insurance. So many women don't have insurance. Right. Hopefully today we have programs in place that these the women that don't have insurance or men that don't have insurance, you can still get your mammograms and you can still have your surgery yes. and it'll be taken care of. And if you don't know what those resources are, go to Google. Go to Type Google. it in. You can go to our website, see what there is. And you can also call Komen. And if they're able to help you and put you in contact with the correct people, great. And if not, then they still might know somebody that would be able to help you. So those are some good starting points. Also, your community has so many resources that you may not know about. Please call your local family connection. I want to talk about that. So call your local United Way or call any of your local agencies and we can put you in contact with someone that can help you. And I am so glad to have you here with us and to to bring that up as well because you're the director of Effingham County Family Connection. I am. And so you're not just saying that. You know this. I know this. You know that there are a ton of resources out there. We have resources that people are not aware of. Yes. Which are incredibly helpful. Which can be life-saving and also just providing that that peace of mind as well. So there are a lot of things out there. All they have to do is ask. That's right. So talking about Effingham County Family Connection, there is a subcommittee that you're on, the REACH, and the focus there is on mental health. How can a cancer diagnosis affect that? And what's your best advice for someone who may need to tend to those emotional scars? People that have been been through breast cancer are not only healing from their physical wounds, but also their emotional wounds. Right. Your body and your brain are going through a lot at the same time. Absolutely. And your body and your brain may be going in different directions. Yes. 
if that makes any sense at all. And, and I don't know if this happens to everybody or not, but something that I noticed happened with me is that my body was going through these physical hurdles and I put all my emotions over here on the table. I was like, I can't, I have to not die. So I have to get through my surgery and my chemo and my radiation. I have to get through all of these hurdles. And it's not that the emotions weren't there. I just didn't tend to them. And then at the end, it was like, whoosh, that's when they hit me. And I don't know if it happens like that for everybody, but the number of women that I've talked to, that emotional thread is is still very much, whenever it happens, happens to happen, it's there. It is there. And that's when you need to have a very strong support group. Yes. That's when you need your family and you need your friends that will be there for you. So when you basically lose it. Yeah. Oh, I've done that. Yeah, I've I've been there. (laughs) We've all done that. They're there to listen. Um, They're there to be with you, to try to talk you through it, or just to listen to you. Listen to your boo-hoo. Listen to your sob. Right. And and I'm also a huge advocate for therapy, too. So you can go call a professional, go to, what is it, what do they call it, psychology today, I think, is where you can go mm-hmm. and find somebody, mm-hmm. find a good fit for you. There's different kinds of therapies out there. Find somebody that is a good fit that you can go and talk to. Clear up the stuff that's building all in your mind and know that there is unbiased support out there for you to help you make it through those wounds as well. And you mentioned the uh, REACH program that falls under the Family Connection umbrella reaches our mental health component of Family Connection. We have a committee of probably 20 people. If anyone ever needs emotional support, if you need someone to talk to, or you feel like you need counseling, again, you can always call Contact. You know, Family reach. Connection, yep. which is REACH. Um, REACH is Resource Education advocacy, community help. We are there to help you find a resource if you don't have somewhere to go. And if I don't necessarily have the answer right there, that's the whole point of the committee is like you can go and talk to them and they know people. And Absolutely. so we can connect yeah. people with where they need to go. Right. Yes. What and would thank you... you for being such a strong partner in our REACH committee, oh, our reach committee and also the Family Connection. Thank you. We appreciate everything that you offer our community. Thank you. I have two more questions for you. What would you like this next generation of young girls growing into women to know about breast cancer? That it can happen to anybody. Whether you've had, your family's had a history of it or not, it can happen to anyone. But again, there's so many things now that they can do to detect breast cancer very, very early. Have your mammograms. And don't be afraid of that. Uh, and Yes, don't be afraid of a mammogram. They don't hurt. Yeah. They have come such a long way yeah. that they're not, it's not a painful process right. at all. Now, I'm not saying you don't <laughs> feel it, but you know, people aren't saying, ooh, I get to yeah. go. Oh, hot dog, I get to, get to have a mammogram today. <laughs> Today's the day. <laughs> But, but do that. Get your mammograms. And if, if somebody, if a doctor or somebody says, you're too young to have a mammogram, say, no, I'm not. Right. You've got, you know your body. Go do what you feel is right for you. And early detection, you said, because because the screenings can, can detect things early. Early detection is critical. Because it's critical. according to the American Cancer Society, the five-year survival rate with stage zero and stage one cancers is over 90%. And then if you find it later stages, like stage four, which is a metastatic, then the five-year survival rate is down to like 20%. Mm-hmm. So you want to find it early. You want to find it very early. 
And please, for the younger generation, the younger girls, do self-exams. Yes. That's just, it's critical. There again, we can't say enough, you know your body better than anybody else. Do yourself breast exams. And if you feel something that doesn't feel right, you go straight to your doctor and you talk about it. That's right. Absolutely. I cannot tell you the number of women that I have spoken to who found their cancer by a routine self-breast exam. Well, that's how I found mine, but actually it wasn't my cancer. My cancer, like I said earlier, was Was camouflaged behind this. And if I had not insisted, if I had not known my body and known something was not right, I wouldn't be here doing this today. It's good to be your number one advocate. Absolutely. Okay, this is my last question. It is my most favorite because it gets to the heart of what I'm trying to do with this whole podcast. So women out there are listening, trying to to hear from others that have been there and done that. What would you like women diagnosed today or tomorrow to walk away knowing from this episode? You're not in this by yourself. You have people out there that have been through this. They're sitting on that fence right next to you. If you fall off, you're going to fall together. That's right. Hold on to each other. You don't have to do it alone. You do not have to do it alone. That's right. You're not there by yourself. And please talk about it. Yes. Don't keep it inside you have breast cancer, you've had breast cancer, share that with other people. Let them know that they're not alone in this. Share both those physical and emotional trials that you may be experiencing because I can promise you it's normal and it's happened to anybody that has walked that road. It's not abnormal. It's a thing. It's a thing. That's for sure. Well, Elaine, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, George, thank you so much for having me and giving me this honor. Thank you so much. And thanks again to all y'all at home listening. I look forward to speaking with you again next week. Until then, remember that together we weather this storm. You are never alone.